I was at a wedding once and the minister began the ceremony by saying, marriage is so wonderful. It's just amazing to find that one special person you want to annoy for the rest of your life. They are true words. We've been making our way through the Ten Commandments. We began last fall with the first four that had to do with our direct relationship to God. And now in the back half, we're looking at the remaining six, which are all built around our relationships to one another. You know, honor your parents, even when they're not that honorable. Don't murder, not even in your heart. So this morning, we come to the intimate relationship of marriage with verse 14. Do not commit adultery. So... Nice light topic for family day weekend. Those of you who aren't even married are maybe breathing a sigh of relief right now, thinking, well, you're off the hook. But for others, we're doing anything but breathing a sigh of relief right now. Because even the mention of that word stirs a river of personal pain that we barely want to think about. And to say that marriage and sexual dynamics are a complex topic would be the understatement of the century. But no matter what your story is here today, and no matter where you're currently at in it, if marriage in general is a hard topic for you, or infidelity in particular, I believe there is all kinds of healing and hope and important things to be learned inside this command for every single one of us. So let's look it in the eye together. Exodus 20:14. do not commit adultery. I feel like we do a bit of a funny dance with infidelity in our culture, kind of a love-hate thing. One of my favorite movies is You've Got Mail with Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. It's sweet and hopeful and it makes my heart flutter. And it's essentially the story of two already partnered people falling in love with each other instead. And so many of our movies and songs and novels tell that story. You know, and we love it. I love it. At the same time, whenever infidelity lands in our real world, our friend circles, our extended families, our own homes and in the church, shock is usually the first emotion. Like, it's totally unthinkable. How could this happen? And internally, we distance ourselves from it. Oh, I would never. Yet the way I view movie love stories seem to indicate otherwise. Statistically speaking, more than a quarter of marriages have experienced infidelity. If that's part of your experience, you do not need me to tell you how painful that is. You're living it, and I'm sorry. I don't know if 25% feels high or low to you. 25% chance of rain isn't going to have me changing my plans for a day, but if you told me that 25% of planes will crash, I will tell you I am not getting on a plane. 25% of marriages experiencing infidelity feels heartbreakingly high to me. And that's just what Ipsos Reed polling says. Unfortunately, Jesus then comes along and makes the stats even worse. In Matthew 5, it says, You know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another's spouse. But don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those ogling looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. He goes on to say that it's actually better to gouge your eye out than to have a wandering eye. Better to lose a body part than to let that kind of fantasy play around even only in your mind. You know, the, man, I wish my partner was a lot more like that. Hmm, I wonder. Now, the problem is the, the things that we let play in our minds take hold in the ground of our hearts. 
So whether it's fully executed infidelity or merely romantic imaginings, whether strip clubs or porn or casual hookups, friends with benefits, whether sexting, the, the quick or not so quick glance up and down the body, now those can all be forms of taking things sexually from people that isn't ours to take. And Jesus says that damages our hearts and our marriages and our communities, even when our body doesn't follow all the way through. See, this command is not just about not committing adultery on your spouse. It's about being faithful to your partner, whether married or dating or future or hypothetical. It's about having a wholehearted, whole-bodied, attentive, solitary sexual devotion to the one you've made a covenant with every minute of every day, every year, for the rest of your life. Not just in deed, but in every thought too. That is pretty hard to do. Under Jesus' definition, I wonder if we've gotten much closer to 100% of us being guilty of infidelity to some degree. And to just look at it from another angle, we also do the same thing in our relationship with God. The Bible repeatedly uses romantic language to talk about God's passionate love for us and the passionate love God longs for from us. We say that Jesus is the center and has primacy in our hearts, but our eyes wander every day. We make other things our gods. We lust after success, wealth, reputation, family. We give the affection of our hearts to a dozen different things above and before, and sometimes completely instead of the God whose spirit breathes within us at our core and who we say is our everything. With both God and people, our hearts are fickle, and we wander away from the love we promised and the love that was promised to us. And it turns into such a mess, like so much pain in so many directions when we do. The thing is, nobody sets out to make a mess. We're just a whole bunch of people looking for love in all the wrong places. Now, most of us are not living the fairy tales Hollywood seemed to promise, you know? Marriage is hard and life is hard and the world is a mess and we're living these holy existences smashed up against each other and the vulnerability and courage and sheer effort required to live in real intimacy. The kind of Jesus following required in marriage is not easy and some days feels near impossible. And our wounds are deep and many. The ones we come into relationship with and the ones that we form there together. And so we walk around with these, these great big gaps inside, but we're immersed in a culture that promises quick fixes and good feels at every turn. And the, the thrill of a new romantic pairing, the thrill of feeling loved and wanted and told that you're worth something, fairly very often seems to be held out as the, the ultimate cure. And so we reach for a little something that isn't ours to take, believing maybe that's the thing that'll fix what feels so incomplete in our souls. No, but it doesn't work because we are searching on the outside for something that can only be found on the inside. And in case you've ever heard it differently, let me say this clearly, that people don't cheat because there's something lacking in their partner. If you have been on the receiving end of infidelity, it wasn't because of you. People cheat because there's something lacking inside of themselves and they just don't know how to find it. 
You know, we, we long for intimacy and affection and excitement and power and worth and attention. And, and so we reach for a lie, believing it'll save us. Instead, it kills the very thing we're after. Intimacy, connection, love. And I just don't think any single one of us is beyond falling for that lie. The longer that I walk with Jesus, the more convinced I become that I am capable of all the things. Given the right set of circumstances, the right combination of fear and pain and wounds and opportunity, I am one perfect storm away from creating my own disaster. Maybe you are too. Maybe we all are. Infidelity happens because we're all longing for something on the inside that nothing on the outside can fill, and we don't know what to do with our pain. But that is not the kind of half-hearted life that Jesus envisions for us. In fact, if you want to know what God's picture of romantic love looks like, we can turn to the song of Psalms, song of songs. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. That's the picture of passion God has in mind for you to experience, both in relationship with him and inside marriage. To both give and receive a love that feels like that. Jesus constantly invites us into a radically wholehearted way of life, including radically loving and being loved, where we each can become the fullest version of who we were meant to be. Now, the call to lifelong sexual faithfulness is not meant to hinder that expression, but to enhance it. And I know fresh thrill feels like thrill, but do you have any idea what safety and security do for your soul? how they create the freedom to fully experience uninhibited passion. Now, the peace that's created inside a relationship that you know will not run out on you, the healing that comes by having your heart held in good times and bad when you're at your best and your absolute worst, the energy that's freed up by not having to navigate constantly shifting sands in your home and in your heart, the way that allows you so much more space for you to just grow and flourish in who you are becoming as a whole person. Fidelity teaches us to tap into a deeper level of love, into deeper muscles. We expand beyond where infatuation will ever take us, growing through pain and disappointment into deep-hearted maturity. It keeps us in integrity, first with ourselves, you know, it keeps us cohesive, and then with each other. Infidelity destabilizes everything. While faithfulness does not make everything perfect, the stability it provides for individuals, families, for communities is more powerful than we realize. And none of that needs to come at the sacrifice of passion. You can learn a deeper passion, one that intensifies with time, intensifies with an ever-deepening knowing of one another. That is exactly the kind of love that we ought to pour into each other because it's exactly the kind of love that God pours out on us. See, in all relationships, but especially marriage, we are constantly imaging God to one another. Similar to how in week one, Michael talked about how our parents first imaged God to us as kids. We do the same thing inside marriage. At least it's God's hope that we would. That inside that sacred covenant union of one soul to another that It would help us to see and believe in a God who also stays, who loves always. 
Now, learning how to be faithful to another human helps us learn how to become more faithful to God. And becoming more faithful to God helps us to become more faithful to each other. It's a beautiful, continuous cycle. And it builds us into the kind of people who then love like that everywhere, spreading a deeper, truer, staying power kind of love in all our relationships. I mean, just imagine that world. So how do we actually get there? You haven't heard me say at any point that this is easy stuff, even if it's exactly the stuff that we were made for. We spend so much time living in a world that's gone so far off course that most of the road signs and many of our own instincts steer us wrong. Learning to live by a different way requires a continual realignment back to Jesus, back to the ways of the Spirit, back to genuine community where we're all trying to learn how to love better together. But in that space, what is not easy is still exponentially possible even if you're among those who've experienced infidelity all the way to its full expression. Rebuilding can still be absolutely possible. I don't like to use the word restoration because there's really no going back to whatever was. But you can rebuild something new, something more real and deep and more honest than what was before, something full of hope and healing. And it may not be possible in every situation, but I'm telling you, it is way more possible in way more situations than we are inclined to believe. And actually the rebuilding moves are mostly the same as the building ones. So I'm gonna suggest three things for all of us. One of them is very marriage specific, but the other two are just good principles for being whole healthy people in relationships with God and everyone else. So number one, deal with your own wounds. Face the stuff you don't want to face inside. Because those are the things that are creating the holes in you that are littering your life with landmines you don't even know are there. So you step on one or two or three and suddenly find yourself in the middle of something you thought you'd never do. Now, they're not defects. They're wounds. So where are you hurting deep down? And, and how are those wounds working in tandem with the wounds of those around you, especially those closest to you, in a way that just keeps creating more wounds? You don't have to stay there stuck in that way of relating. Bring those things to God in honesty, in all their rawness. Start journaling. Talk to your life group. Find a good counselor. Read some books. Surround yourself with friends who do their own deep work and can help you figure out how to do yours too. Deal with your own wounds. And number two, learn to cultivate a heart of not even just faithfulness, which to be honest is too low a bar, but learn to cultivate a heart of absolute delight in your partner. Aiming at faithfulness alone can almost feel like just stick it out. But that's not the picture of love in Song of Songs. Too many marriages dishonor God and each other because that's the only commitment to just not leave. That's just a different form of pain. An armed truce, roommates with rings, those don't live out God's heart of love any more than leaving does. And so instead, learn to cultivate a heart of intentional, ravenous, attentive, increasing with time and not decreasing delight in the incredible gift right in front of you, in the one you have partnered your soul with. Spend time thinking about one another, studying one another, knowing there is still mystery in there that you haven't yet explored. I don't care how many years you've been together. Remind yourselves often of why you fell in love. 
get rid of the kids once in a while and have fun together, share your pain together, wonder about God together. Say the things out loud about why you love one another. They will actually intensify. Have the grace with your partner that you long for them to have with you and keep your passion alive. Which is not to say that any affair ever happens because a spouse wasn't spicy enough in the bedroom. Hear me, that's garbage. But only to say, bring your fantasies home to the one who's pledged their life to the delight of your heart. Learn how to keep falling back in love. And I do say learn. Now, this isn't either you have it or you don't. What you have is the human condition and cultural influenza, same as me. We have to learn to return ourselves to the holiness at our core. We could call it unlearning what the world around us has incorrectly taught us or what our wounds have deceivingly taught us. Building a faithfully passionate heart requires effort, and it is more than worth it. And finally, number three, learn how to receive the love and worth you are desperate for in the God already within you. There is an ache at the center of your soul that only the love at the center of your soul can meet. The deep and abiding and holy, fiery passion of the God who breathed you into being and has been loving you ferociously every day since. The God who is unwaveringly faithful who forgives completely and freely, and then heals the wounds that both we and others have inflicted upon us. He really is that real and that good. Our biggest challenge is simply to figure out how to tap into and then live out of that divine spark within. And that's why the more we fill our lives with the spiritual practices that draw us close to the heart of Christ— through prayer and worship and reflection and study and contemplating nature and embodying compassion, loving one another deeply, the more we practice a deep and dynamic relationship with God, drinking daily from the well of presence and love within, the more it will transform us from the inside out. It just will. Being in intense relationship with God will naturally produce the fruit of increasing faithfulness in all areas of our lives. And until we learn to live in and from that space, we will all likely repeatedly be drawn back to looking for love in all the wrong places. So we can help each other immensely on this journey, whether your story has been a little bit touched by infidelity or a whole lot, whether your heart breaks for what you've been through or for those around you. We can build a culture together here in our community without judgment, without shame, And without accepting the status quo of our culture, without minimizing or ignoring pain, a place where hearts are safe, where stories are held both honestly and gently, and where we're all wrestling with our own wandering hearts and learning together what it means to be faithful lovers towards God and one another. A culture where we can image God well to one another. And remind each other, you know that God is in the business of taking shattered pieces of everything and pulling them together into something breathtakingly beautiful, right? That's our only story. And that's all our story. And when that sounds just way too impossible, when everything seems impossible, we can be ones who hope for one another when our own hope falters in this and in everything else.
And so God, would you help us to grow into the people you dreamt us up to be? Would you build faithful hearts within us, God? Would you give us eyes to see the faithfulness all around us? Would you touch the places that are wounded, God, and continue to breathe life as only you can? And would you give us the courage, the strength, the vulnerability, and the grace to offer ourselves wholeheartedly to one another? That we might see not only each other, but that we would see you more clearly in the midst of that. We love you, God. And Jesus, we pray. Amen.